We are proud to have had Tyson Steltzer as our resident wine expert almost since the very start of the show. Over the past couple of years, we haven't heard from him quite as often simply because he's been so busy as the chief editor of the Halliday Wine Companion and he's been heavily involved in the judging of those wines. Born in the Barossa, Tyson has a wonderful palate, but more than that, he has won numerous awards as the Wine Communicator of the Year with his ability to explain complex ideas simply. He is internationally regarded for his champagne knowledge and for the tours he leads, so we're very glad to have him back talking to Graham Kemlow about the latest wine vintage, the best way to tour the famous French champagne houses, and as usual, he leaves us with a tip for a valued wine from a family producer, which is in the Yarra Valley. Tyson, welcome back. Hello, Graham. Always great to chat wine with yeah, you. I love talking with you. I don't know anything about wine. <laughs> I don't know what I like, but don't be silly. I do feel a bit reassured after I've spoken to you that I'm not uh, mistaking my myself for my rosé. We're in a great place in the wine world at the moment, and there's so many exciting wines out there. I can't get over how beautiful the last three vintages have been across southeastern Australia, which means that um, even for those of us who feel less confident in our wine buying decisions, there are lots of great things to be found at all price points out there. Okay. And are there are there wine varieties or bottles, uh, bottles now with different types of wine in that maybe we haven't heard of? Oh, there's all sorts. I mean, there are, there are literally thousands of different wine grape varieties, but I find it interesting to see the way in which some of the more familiar varieties are changing with the changing seasons too. And I mean, there's a reason that the, the the top set of varieties are so well respected. The Cabernet, Shiraz, Pinot Noir, Riesling, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Semillon, that, that sort of familiar set. Yeah. And I love the way in which they're being expressed in this whole La Nina phase of cooler seasons and, and wetter, more humid vintages, which means that there's some beautifully elegant wines from 2021. The red wines are on the shelves at the moment. The whites are coming through from 2022. And the 2023 wines, slightly more challenging vintage, but nonetheless also cool. And those producers who were vigilant with their viticulture with a very late harvest, which has literally only just wound up in most parts of Australia in recent days, have made some wonderfully refined classic styles of wines that we don't see in some of these increasingly warm vintages. Right. Are we seeing more of the uh, Southern European, uh, maybe even South American um, warm climate uh, grapes coming into our field of vision? Absolutely. I mean, Australia has always been a hot, dry continent, so it makes sense for the Mediterranean-style grapes to thrive here. And so we're seeing quite a few of the southern French varieties, obviously Shiraz and Grenache and that set have been popular for a long time, but also some of the more uh, Italian varieties, obviously Sangiovese is a good one. Nebbiolo, perhaps not quite so warm climate-oriented, but nonetheless doing well in some of our cooler parts. And then a whole suite of experimentation with um, winemakers growing in their knowledge as, as the vines grow up in their age and increasingly interesting drought-resistant styles that um, are well-suited to the vagaries of our increasingly erratic climate. Mm. Do, do you think, Tyson, there are very few parts of Australia that now could not grow some type of grape? I guess the the question comes down to the resilience of the viticulturists and um, 
the adaptability of the varieties too. And so I don't think we are in an Armageddon phase where we need to write off our warm regions. I think there's still great things happening there, as we've seen in the last few vintages particularly. And it comes down to a careful balance. And often, perhaps surprisingly, one of the key issues is the yield that the growers are looking for. If they push the yields too far, the vines aren't able to sustain balance and achieve balanced ripeness with sugar and flavour in a way that produces great wines. And so some of it comes down to the simple humility of a grower, not to be too ambitious with their yields and to plant the density and prune and manage the vines in such a way as to produce great wines rather than just lots of wines. And so there's decisions like that that mean that we can continue to make great wines even in these crazy climactic years. Mm. We talk about, uh, you know, wine makers we don't often think about the person who's out there with the with the secateurs but that's obviously a critical part of the whole process i think this is one of the things that um it would be great to see evolve in the mentality of australian wine and that is that if you look at some of the great wine regions of europe it's all about the vineyard and the viticulturist and the history of those vines. Whereas in Australia, the famous people in wine are the brands and the winemakers. Mm. And yet all the great winemakers will say, hey, let's give some credit back where it's due to those who are actually producing the grapes because you can't make a great wine without great grapes. And if the grapes are awesome, then the winemaking process is in many ways just a technicality. So I absolutely agree that there is much more opportunity in Australia for us to celebrate regions and sub-regions and vineyards and the people who make those beautiful grapes that make the wines as incredible as what they are. Now, Tyson, I know that um, you had an interesting period during the pandemic because uh, <laughs> you'd like to take tours uh, off to mm. Europe for... Uh, people who enjoy wandering around the chateau and uh, mm. the houses of, of, of Champagne. Um, are you sort of back on an even keel with that now? What are you doing with the Champagne Guide, for example? I know that's online. Is it staying yes. online? The world is a changing place. And what that means for me is that having had some years where I wasn't able to do my many wine events around the world, my little intimate tour groups in Champagne, my big taste Champagne events, my wine weekends in Tasmania and Queensland and increasingly overseas. Uh, now that the world is open, I'm not only covering the itch for people to get back into travel and covering the backlog of what would have happened during the COVID period, but I'm also very busy because I've got an increasing interest from Champagne lovers and wine lovers for that matter. I took a group to Champagne from America last month. I had a group from Perth earlier in the year. Um, my public groups are on during harvest in September and we have a lot of guests coming now from the Nordics and from the UK and from other parts of Europe. So it's amazing to see the growth there and the opportunities, which means that I'm super busy. And at the same time, the Champagne Guide has gone from 13 years of print editions to now just this month, champagne.guide as the online version which has more than four and a half thousand reviews and hundreds of house profiles so that's been a big project over the last years too and there'll be a new printed edition of the champagne guide later this year or early next year now just to um, reassure our listener the champagne guide is about the french product 
Yes, that's right. So Champagne itself, of course, comes from the Champagne region, just like Yarra Valley Cabernet comes from the Yarra Valley. Uh, But I have a great interest in Australian sparkling too, as we've often discussed, and particularly love the great wines of Tasmania and um, the wonderful things that are going on there in the sparkling world. So do you actually have somewhere where people can read your thoughts about the Australian bubbly? Yes, I'm publishing reviews in Wine Business Magazine, WBM, as I have been doing now for a long time, close to 20 years actually, um, which is a great publication. So I've got 50 reviews there in every edition and then I sporadically also release um, features through my other website, which is tysonstelzer.com. Okay, great. Now, is your tour going this year? You're going back to France again this year? Oh my gosh! I was in I was in France last week. I'm back there next month. I was there in January. I'm back there in September. So, might be record this year. Five trips back to Champagne, um, with four different tour groups over that time. And are they all booked out? Not quite. I'm very close to um, the tours in September. We've got two places available for this year. And next year, I think we've still got two places available too. And we've got bookings right up till 2025 now. So it's very popular. And in fact, um, even though we've always described it as a once in a lifetime experience, quite a few of our guests who come along love it so much that they're rebooking and coming back. So uh, that's exciting. It means they get to experience it again. Now, I know I've given you an unpaid political announcement there, but um, <laughs> it's difficult to just walk into a chateau in France and expect to be mm. shown the vintage like you might find at Rutherglen or in the Barossa. Um, it's a sort of an invitation process involved, isn't it? Well, that's the whole reason I started these two is because originally uh, I was just a writer and people kept saying to me, can we come to Champagne with you? Because in Australia, if you go to the Barossa, you can visit any cellar door you want to almost yeah. any day of the week, whereas in France it's much more closed. And so I've been blessed to have the opportunity to introduce our guests to the Chef de Caves and the principals of their houses and to have dinners and lunches around their personal dining tables and have an experience that's exactly the same as what I would have myself with the, the key people in each house but with the guests able to experience that too. So that's been the blessing and the reason that we've initiated the tours in the way that we have. Well, that's great. I'd love to just carry your bags one day, Tyson. Yeah, for sure. You have to have to join us, definitely. Uh, lovely to have you on the show, mate. Thank you so much. Have you got a quick tip for a, a good wine, not outrageous mm. in price, that yes. people can whip down to Dan's and grab? I am loving at the moment the great wines of Franco Dana, which is the wonderful little estate of Hoddles Creek in the upper Yarra Valley. And his Chardonnay, his estate Chardonnay and his estate Pinot Noir are some of the most beautiful expressions of those varieties under $30 anywhere in the world. And he makes wonderful, more premium, higher level versions under his premier label. But um, those entry wines have long been benchmarks in my cellar. They age beautifully, but they're wonderful on release. They're readily available and affordable. And I just can't drink enough great Pinot and Chardonnay. And it's hard to find wines that really express the beauty of those two varieties from a cool place made by a sensitive hand who's very engaged with his vineyards and his wineries as what Franco Dana is. That's Hoddles Creek, sub $30, Estate Chardonnay and Estate Pinot. Love them. Thank you so much, Tyson. Graham Kemlo there with resident wine expert Tyson Steltzer, who can be found at winepress.com.au. And the name of that Yarra Valley winemaker at Hoddles Creek is Franco Dana. Tell him you heard it. From Tyson on Travel Riders Radio. This is the Travel Riders Show 
on J-Air 88FM in Melbourne. Well, I'm just a songwriter working my trade. I carry a swag full of tunes that I've made. And if you've got the time, I'll sing you a song. 